welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first podcast episode for 2020. Uh, I hope you're looking forward to a really successful year. I know it's been an eventful start to the year, both here in Australia with uh, droughts and flooding rains and bushfires, as well as globally with things like the coronavirus or COVID-19, as it's now been called. And so it's been a, quite an unsettling start of the year for many people. I wonder how last year, 2019, was for you. Uh, I've spoken to a number of people in my personal and professional life, and I've had mixed reactions. Some people say it's been a really good year, but I've had a number of people, probably more than usual, who said that it's been a really challenging year for them, and they're really glad to see the back of it. I know this is the time of the year, the start of the year, when many people are doing their goal setting. So today I want to talk about how to set and achieve goals in a fast-changing world. Now, personally, I don't think that the start of the year is the right time to be setting your goals. And I'll explain why as we get into the program today. But I know that many people are doing their goal setting, their strategic planning at this time of year to get ready for the year ahead. So so I want to share with you the recording from a webinar that I ran recently, which is all about goal setting and goal achievement in this fast changing world. It's called Nine Things Successful People Do Differently. And it's about how to get things done based on the latest from social psychology and neuroscience. And so there'll be some things in there that I think will be familiar to you, but there'll be other things that might be a little bit different from what you've heard before, maybe even contradicting what you've heard before. So this is an edited version of the webinar. So I've removed the bits where I was running polls and uh, uh, answering questions in the chat room. So it's a concise edited version of the webinar, but it has all the essential elements in there. So I hope you enjoyed the nine things that successful people do differently. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to this webinar, which is all about goal setting and productivity. So I've called it Nine Things Successful People Do Differently, and it's based on some research into a goal setting for the future and how to be successful uh, in setting goals. Because the way you set goals now is different from the way you uh, set and achieved goals in the past. Because, uh, you know, goal setting is easy. It's a goal achievement that's not so easy. So I'm going to give you some really practical techniques and tools that have been tested. This is from the from psychology and neuroscience in how to, uh, in how to set, set and achieve your goals now. So my rules of engagement, I'd like you to think differently. Think about uh, your goals, uh, some things that you'd like to achieve in the next 90 days to 12 months. Um, and also uh, be a bit playful in this exercise. So this is a chance for you to uh, kind of let yourself go and maybe think a little bit bigger than you normally would because it's always easier to think bigger in this situation and then walk it back when you get back into the real world than the other way around. Um, and particularly for today's webinar, I want you to have things that you can take away and put into action that are going to make a significant difference in your professional life and if you choose to in your personal life as well. So what I want to share with you today is a uh, some really practical things around goal setting and productivity. In fact, this is one of the modules that I run when I run my, I've got this program called the New Rules for High Performance Teams. I'll tell you a little bit about that at the end, but very broadly, it's all about being able to have perform high performance and high productivity in this fast-changing world. And I think you need three things here. So you need your team to operate in flow, so still to be able to be productive when our world's changing around us. So kind of go with the flow rather than trying to block out the world. 
then you've got to be flexible as well. So as things change and goalposts get moved, then you've got to be flexible and work together as a team. And finally, your team has to multiply and amplify their skills and efforts and productivity. So how, how do you fly? So the, to give you an idea of the sort of things that we talk about in the program, the flow section is all about goal setting and productivity. Flex is about decision making and collaboration. How do you solve problems? How do you collaborate? How do you make better decisions in a, in a world of uncertainty? And then flying is how do you take this to the next level? How do you build your personal brand? How do you become an active and lifelong learner and so on? So today, very obviously, we're talking about goal setting productivity as well, if you like, but specifically about how to set challenging um, but achievable goals, right? So today is very much about, uh, I've got an idea about something you'd like to achieve. How do you then set a goal in a way that makes it likely that you'll achieve it even when the world gets in the way? It's now our world is changing so fast, it's very difficult to set 12-month goals and uh, and work and operate as a whole strategy based on 12 months because a world changes too fast in 12 months. So what I recommend that you do is you set a you might set a 12 month theme for your year. So whatever there's general direction, so compass direction, and then when you set your goals, do them as 90 day projects or 90 day goals. 90 days is is short enough that the world's not going to change too much around you, but it's long enough that you can actually do something significant. So you can imagine in 90 days, you can do quite a lot if you set yourself an ambitious goal every 90 days that you do that. It's really useful to have a theme for 12 months and then every quarter have a specific project that you're working on in the next quarter and then um, every quarter you you work on. So you might have four projects that you have in mind, but one of them is in sharp focus for the next 90 days, and then you work on that one. And that's the way that I've been running my business for pretty much the last decade or even longer. Um, and then once you've got your 90-day projects, you can break that down into 40-hour weeks, and then every day have a to-do list if you like. Okay, so big picture is this strategy that I'm going to share with you, the nine things successful people do differently, It doesn't. it's not tied to any particular time frame, but I reckon the best time frame for us now in this really fast-changing world is to work on 90-day projects. So what would you like to achieve in the next 90 days? So by the end of 90 days, what would you like to achieve? And I think this will be really useful as we're working through this to think about these nine things, which we're now going to talk about uh, in the context of this 90-day project that you're working on. Um, and this is not just, I haven't just picked this up out of thin air. This is based on, re on research from Dr. Heidi Grant Halverson. So she's written this excellent book called Nine Things Successful People Do Differently. She's a social scientist and she has gathered some research um, from a number of areas of social, social psychology. Uh, some of it's her research, some of it's other people. And she shares the things that that have been proven through social psychology uh, to lead to success. So these are things that successful people do differently. So you're more likely to succeed now if you follow these things. And some of them you'll be familiar with, but some of them contradict what you might have heard in the past about goal setting. And it's not that their previous advice was wrong. It's just that the world has changed now and that advice may not apply anymore. So what we're going to do in the next 45 minutes is go through each of those nine things. We won't spend equal time on all of them because it doesn't need it. Some of them we don't need as much time and some of them we need a little bit more time. Um, but we're going to go through it and at the end you'll have a blueprint for any 
goal or any project that you're working on, here are nine things that you can do as you're setting out to, um, to create and plan out that goal. Okay, so what do successful people do differently? Uh, now, I've grouped these into these three areas, ready, aim, and fire. Uh, Dr. Grant Halverson doesn't in her book, uh, but I think it's useful to think about them as there are three things around um, setting your goal, so getting ready. There are three things around, I've just called this aim, which is about um, like how, do you, how are you actually going to progress the goal? over, in this case, 90 days. And fire is what happens when things catch fire. Okay, so what happens when things go wrong? So as a summary, these are the nine things that successful people do differently. Uh, so we're going to go through them all. So just in summary, the ready things are being specific about your goals, knowing what you're going to uh, do, and being a realistic optimist. The planning out your progress is about seizing the moment, knowing what's left, so being able to measure the gap, and focus on getting better, so focus on progress, not just outcomes. And then the, f the final area, which is about uh, managing obstacles, is having grit and not uh, creating an environment so you don't create an opportunity for temptation and to build your willpower muscle. Okay, so I've gone through that very, very uh, quick summary uh, because I just want to give you the summary and now we're going to go through each of those areas one at a time. So we'll cover all of these nine things uh, section by section. Okay, so let's start with this first area. This is actually setting your goals. I reckon if the first couple of these you'll probably be familiar with and this comes from like traditional goal setting. But remember that the setting of your goals is the easy part. It's the achieving of it that's not so easy. So let's look at the first area. Okay, so we'll start with an easy one. So which are the best goals? So when you decide what you're actually going to work on, uh, think of it on, on these two different, uh, here's, here's a spectrum of from vague to specific and from easy to difficult. So a vague goal, um, a specific goal is where you actually know where you've achieved, whether you've achieved it or not. A vague goal is kind of very broad. And you're not really sure whether you've achieved it. So you can have your goal on either of these two axes or somewhere in the middle. And then there are easy goals to achieve and challenging goals to achieve. So if I asked you, like, which of these four areas are the make up the best goals. So let me go through them. So if you've got vague and difficult goals, then it's easy to just give up because they're so vague and they're really challenging. So if you want to say, I want to be multi, I want super rich, uh, it's a challenging goal unless you're already there and it's pretty vague. So there's no way to measure it. Uh, it's, uh, there's almost nothing that you can do. So uh, it's easy to set that goal. And that's the kind of thing you do as a drunken New Year's resolution, but it's, but People tend to give up on that because it's too vague and it's too challenging. Some people choose vague goals that are too easy to achieve. So if you want to say, if you make a, if you have a goal that says, I want to do more exercise, then it's kind of vague because you actually want to, like your goals around fitness, but it's easy to do more exercise if you do no exercise and then you just walk down to the uh, walk down to the local deli uh, which you've never done before you can tick that off and say I've achieved my goal and um, it's easy to fool yourself into achieving goals uh, you can say I want to make um, more money again it's kind of vague like unless you've got a specific number attached to it it's easy to fool yourself into thinking that you've achieved the goal so then the other one is if you've got specific goals that are really that are really easy to achieve. So um, don't make your goals too easy, even if you make them specific, because then they're too boring. And uh, interestingly enough, those goals fall, fall by the wayside as well, because there's just no motivation to them. I think we all know that the goals that are the most motivating are the ones that are challenging 
and specific. So they're specific. In other words, you know whether you've achieved them or not. So you'd have, if it's a money goal, you have a money, a number attached to it, a dollar value attached to it. If it's a business growth goal around, it might be around customers or social media engagement uh, or about internal employee experience. It might be uh, how, what's your retention rate? Uh, are you attracting top quality people, what's your performance and productivity like? And that might be around specific numbers. So this is specific and also it's challenging. Okay, so the number one uh, thing that successful people do differently is that they have a specific goal and uh, it should be specific and challenging. So have a challenging goal, but have a specific goal as well. Okay, that's pretty easy, and most goal-setting programs tell you that. In fact, the, the one that you might be familiar with, which is, which is all about SMART goals, the, the S in SMART is all about specific. And there's been a bit of poo-pooing about SMART goals recently. They say SMART goals are not enough. I think SMART goals are great. So SMART is a specific, measurable, attainable What's, what's our realistic and time-bound, that's great for the setting the goals stuff. The, the trouble with SMART goals is they don't tell you any, uh, they don't give any advice about how to actually achieve the goals. So absolutely, go for specific first. The second one, again, is something that you may have heard before, and this is to focus on what you will do rather than what you won't do. So the example I use in a business context is if you say that you want to spend less time getting distracted by social media, that's, on, that's a goal about what you won't do, so you won't get distracted. Instead of that, a more compelling goal is what you will do instead. So if you have a strong yes, it's much easier to say no. And that's what this is about. So the research shows that if you have a goal that you're working towards rather than a goal that you're working away from, then you're more likely to, to achieve it. You may have heard the psychology that says that people work away from, uh, that they're more motivated to, to avoid pain than to uh, get pleasure. And that may be true, but that's about your motivation. But make sure that the goal you're setting is stated in the positive of what you will achieve rather than what you won't. Okay, so I've done those two pretty quickly because I think they're, they're pretty familiar to us and I don't think we need to go into uh, any more detail about them. However, okay, the next one is not as uh, intuitive and obvious. So let me introduce this one by one of the experiments that Dr. Heidi Grant Halverson talks about in her book, uh, that she talks about the psychologists who were studying a group of women who had a fitness goal. So they were going to the gym and they had a weight loss goal in mind. And at the start of that program, these psychologists, they went in and they gave these women a survey and they asked them uh, a number of questions. Here are two of the questions. So one of the questions was, do you believe that you will succeed? And there was a there was a range they could score themselves and from they would they believe they would succeed or they didn't believe and somewhere in that range. And also they asked them, do you think that it'll be easy or do you think it'll be difficult to achieve that goal? And then they went and did the program and at the end they looked at the the people who the women who had actually succeeded with their weight loss goal over that program, and. Uh, they had a look at the original questions. And which of them do you think were the most likely to succeed? I think you know the answer. The answer is the ones who believed they would succeed were more likely to achieve the goal. And they believed that it wouldn't be easy. So the ones who thought it would be easy um, were less likely to achieve it. And the ones who were pessimistic about it were also less likely to achieve it. So... The way that Dr. Grant Halverson puts it is be a realistic optimist. So be optimistic. And that's what I said with the rule number one is to set a, set a challenging goal, one that you, uh, is, is a stretch for you, 
that you're optimistic that you can achieve it, but be realistic about it as well, uh, about you being able to achieve it. So understand that there will be obstacles along the way. There will be things that get in the way of your goal. And so you have to be able to plan for that. So we're going to talk about that later on today, but I want to also give you right now one really specific um, activity that you can do that will help you in being a realistic optimist. And this is a, a process that was developed by some Harvard researchers based on the idea of a medical post-mortem. So you know medical post-mortem is somebody dies and the post-mortem figures out why they um, what happened. And if it happens in surgery, the post-mortem is that the surgeon gets together with their team and they figure out what went wrong in the operation and could we have saved the patient so we don't have to make that same mistake again. So these researchers created this thing called a pre-mortem. And in a business context, the way it works is this. So you imagine, so we're working on a 90-day project, you imagine sitting down with your team at the end of 90 days and you imagine that you've failed you didn't achieve your goal. Okay, so this is kind of the exact opposite of normal goal setting or, or traditional goal setting, which says, imagine we all succeed, we're, we're happy, we're celebrating, imagine how our life's so much better. This is the opposite. This says, imagine in three months' time, we're sitting down and we've failed and we're looking back at what went wrong. And then you say, what went wrong? You know, what happened? Did we lose a key person? Did we, um, did the stock market change? Did uh, a global environment change? Uh, so what went wrong? And then do what you can to put things in place to allow for all those obstacles. And because you're only imagining it, you're right back now in the present day, you can put those um, plans in place now to avoid those obstacles. So that's, and it's a really powerful process and it's a, uh, uh, it's an easy way to be a realistic optimist. And uh, there'll be people in your team who will happily tell you what could have, what they could have done. Like in, uh, at the end of the three months, the pre-mortem just does that at the start of the goal setting process. Okay, so I reckon when you set a goal, especially a team goal, get your team together and do a pre-mortem. It sounds like you're being negative about it, but you're not, you're being realistic. You're being an optimist that you can achieve the goal, but you're being realistic about what might get in the way. Okay, so those are the first three things. Uh, getting specific, knowing what you will do, so focusing on a, like stating your goal in the positive, and then being a realistic optimist. Okay, so this, this next section here is about planning. So this is mapping out what's going to happen in the next, well, in this case, we're going to go with 90 days. Let's map out the progress in the next 90 days. So another reason that I like 90-day projects rather than 12-month goals is that with the 90 days, so 90 days is three months or 12 weeks, you could map that out in a, on a whiteboard in your office. You could map it out in an Excel spreadsheet week by week. You know what to do and you know when to do it. It's, a, it's much easier than a 12-month goal where everybody's really motivated at the start of the process and then three weeks in, you actually don't know what you're going to do in week three because there's another 48 or 49 weeks coming up after that. With a 90-day project or 12-week project, um, every week matters and you know what you're going to do and you know you've got deadlines you've got to meet. Um, if you don't meet those deadlines, you can remap the rest of the project um, for the following weeks after that and you can do all of that in, the, uh, in a very short time frame because everyone can kind of see three months ahead. Okay, so let's look at these three things here about mapping out your progress. And the first one here, again, I'll talk about a, a study in psychology that was done. It's called the, um, the Christmas Experiment. It was done in, in a university in Germany. And uh, leading up to Christmas, the students... Uh, 
for the, in the Northern Hemisphere, Christmas time is the middle of their year. So they all go away on Christmas holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays, and they come back later. But that's kind of like the middle of their year rather than the end of the year. So this lecturer, he gave his students an exam, a, a special exercise to do uh, over Christmas. And he said, if you'd like to get extra credit for the course, then do this exercise. And he actually, he was the, he was the experimenter. And so he gave half his students one set of instructions, the other half another set of instructions. So the first group was told, write this essay about what you did on your Christmas holidays and send it back to me. So email it back to me uh, before the end of the year. So you know, while they were away on holidays, they had to email back this essay about what they did over Christmas and that gave them extra credit. The second group, the second half, were given exactly the same instructions and were also told, plan now when you're going to write that essay. Okay, so they just had to think in their mind when they were going to do it. They didn't have to put it into their diaries or their phones. They didn't have to tell the lecturer. They didn't have to write it anywhere. They just had to think about when they were going to do it. And that little exercise, that little addition of thinking about when they were going to do it, meant that they were twice as likely to actually hand in the essays. So it was a huge difference, like 30% of the people versus 70% of the uh, students handed it in uh, just because they had in their mind when they were going to do it. So they had this, what they call, what psychologists call an implementation intention. So they had a plan of when they were going to do their work. So the researchers call this seizing the moment. So setting time in your calendar and in your working week and working months for actually working on your goals. And, and the researchers find that the people who set aside time for their goals are more likely to achieve them. And you might go, well, duh, that's pretty obvious. However, Look at your calendar now, and I bet you if you look at your calendar and the things that are in it, there are things like meetings and appointments and phone calls, I bet you 90% of your calendar is full of other people's goals. Okay, it's not 100% true, but the time have you set aside time in your calendar for working on your own goals? Now, it doesn't have to be in your calendar, by the way. You don't have to do it based on dates and specific times. Another thing that you can do is what's called if-then thinking. And is simply attaching the time to work on your goals um, to events that are happening automatically in your life anyway. So you could say that you know you want your staff to be more innovative. Well, if it's a weekly staff meeting, we're going to start with a little 10-minute innovation insights exercise. Okay, whatever that means. All right, so that's a way that if you want your team to be more innovative, it's built into the team meetings or it's triggered by the staff of the team meeting. Uh, as a pers at personal point, you, know, you could say, when I wake up, I'll go to the gym. So I don't have to find time in my busy working week. It's just an automatic um, habit that when I wake up, I'll go to the gym. When I get back from, the from lunch, before I go to a meeting, before I check my email, I'm going to spend 30 minutes on my goal. Um, here's another one. <laughs> when I go shopping, I'm going to start with the healthy stuff. Okay, so this is the if-then thinking. And if you create this, if you program this for your life and you create these habits, it's so much easier to then work on them. Okay, so this is why things like intermittent fasting works really well. So if you're looking at becoming fitter or losing weight, uh, the research shows that the crash diets don't work, but things that do are intermittent fasting, like the 5-2 the program, where two days a week you limit your calories and 
you know that when you wake up and it's one of those two days, then you have this rule to follow and uh, you can't break the rule. On the other five days, you can do whatever you like. Um, so that's one version of intermittent fasting. And that's around this if-then thinking. If it's Tuesday, I'm going to eat 600 calories, whatever it is. Okay, so if you can create these rules um, right up front for when you're going to be working on your goals. So either by calendaring it, uh, putting it in your diary, or by having these if-then rules so they become habits. A couple of other examples that uh, I know somebody who says uh, before eight o'clock every morning, he's going to knock off one of his big tasks uh, on his list, achieve something big. Um, it doesn't have a major, major big, but he's going to knock off something significant rather than just get through process email. Um, somebody else has uh, uh, marketing Mondays as part of her regular routine that she has uh, set aside that every Monday is going to be for marketing. It could be that every Thursday afternoon is set aside for working on your working on the business rather than in the business and so on. Okay, the, the next one here is a pretty simple one. And again, you may have heard it before, but I'm going to talk about these next two. Just be careful about these two because they seem like they might contradict each other, but actually making two very different points. And the first one is know what you've got left. So this is saying when you're working towards your goal, like you should know at any time, the gap is not only knowing how far you've got, but how much time or how much you've got to go. So it's not only saying that, uh, you know, we've worked, this is a, this we planned this out and it was going to take four weeks. Well, we've done three weeks. Uh, that's how much you've done, right? But how much is left? may not be a week because you may have been slower or it may have taken longer. Uh, so there may be another three weeks yet to go. And if you're not looking at how much you've got left, then it's, it's, there's a good chance you're not going to achieve your goal, especially for goals where it's easy to measure and you know what progress you're making. So if you've got a monetary goal, um, so you should absolutely celebrate what you've done, but also know how, how, how hard you've got to work to achieve the goal. So know what you've got left, know what the gap is. Okay, I think that's pretty straightforward. And again, that's from traditional goal setting. But the next one, when you pair it up with the previous one, um, is really important. So this one is where you've got a goal where you're not sure how to achieve it. So it's not necessarily put one foot in front of the other and follow it. So what the research shows is focus on the process, not just the outcome. So focus on getting better, not just being good. And as I said, especially when there's a long way to go to the outcome or you don't exactly know how to get there. So measure your progress as well. So in this case, it is actually looking at, let's make about the previous one. The previous one, know what you've got left, is actually measuring how far you've got to go to the outcome. And it's really useful when you know what you're doing and you know how to get there. When you don't know what you're doing and you don't know how to get there, uh, focus on progress. Um, let me give you an example from my life. So I'm a cricket tragic, uh, but I was never very good at cricket. Now, now my nephew, Riley, uh, who's now, he's going to be 17 uh, in, next week. Uh, this one, he was a lot younger. He's picked up cricket when he was like 12 or 13, which is pretty old to start a sport, but he's pretty good at it now. And he just played, he's been selected for the WA team. They just played their under-17s uh, competition where WA won recently. So I'm, I'm kind of a proud uncle about this. Um, but one of the things that Riley does really, really well is just he just obsessed about it. You know, 
his family, they, they get a bit annoyed by his obsession, but it's fantastic because he obsesses about technique and he just, all he wants to do is hit the ball, hit the ball, hit the ball. Now, his ambition is to play for Australia and there are, I think, there are a couple of spaces still in the batting order that'll be open in the next couple of years. So he's got a chance. Um, but what he does was he just obsessed. He would watch YouTube videos. He'd be hitting the ball in the lounge room, a, a little uh, ping pong ball. He'd be out of the nets whenever he could. And all he cared about was that process. And uh, so we're in Perth and Mickey Arthur, who was the former South African cricket coach and the former Australian cricket coach, um, he now lives in Perth. He's, he's now an Australian and he now lives in Perth and he does cricket coaching. And so um, now Riley's family engaged him to coach Riley some personal uh, coaching. So Riley was very lucky that he had coaching from Mickey Arthur. And I went along to one of his net sessions and you know, he just had this bowling machine and he'd just send him ball after ball after ball. And everything was about the process. It was, okay, wait forward, Riley, um, bat in front of you, um, bat and pad close together, good shot, Riley. And a lot of positive reinforcement, but all about the process. He never said, well done, Riley, you're closer to playing for Australia, because it was never about that. It was always about the process, not the outcome. It was always about getting better, not about being good. Because at this stage, that, that goal of playing for Australia is so far away that it's actually demotivating to focus on that. It's much better to focus on the progress, not the outcome. Okay, so that's, that's what this is about. So you know your goal. What's a getting better measure for your goal? So just as a couple of examples, a getting better measure for your goal is suppose you've got a, a revenue goal and it requires a lot of sales calls and meeting prospects and all of those sort of things. And you may not have done a lot of them before because you may be going into a new market. The getting better measure might be how many calls do you make? How many appointments do you make? How many sales meetings do you do you have? How many proposals do you send? Um, it's not just about how much revenue do you earn because you're going to a new market. If you're starting out a new social media campaign, then the getting better measurements might be about how many likes and followers and clicks you get. That's not ultimately what matters, but it might matter in terms of progress. Um, and then you might have other goals around engagement. How often do you actually have real conversations with customers? and so on. Okay, so what's a getting better measure for your goal? Okay, so measure progress. So, um, And this is something that a coach will tell you, uh, whether it's a sports coach or a business coach or a life coach, it's all about the process uh, before you get to the outcome. So Riley's dad, my brother-in-law, Neil, uh, when he was coaching with me in tennis, that's all he used to focus on initially. So it didn't matter whether I got the ball in, uh, whether it went into the net, all he cared about was my the, the the process of my stroke. And he said, just get the stroke right, get the process right, and then the results will come after that. So focus on pro, uh, process and focus on progress, not only on outcome. Now, if the goal is really straightforward and you know how to achieve it, then, well, and let's say it's still a challenging goal, but you still know how to achieve it, then maybe it is okay just to focus on the outcome. But especially for goals where you don't know how to achieve them, then the, the process is just as important and it's a thing that will keep you motivated as well. And for your team as well. So share this with your team and, and make sure you build in getting better measures and ways to reward getting better. Okay, so we looked at these two areas. So we've talked about six of the nine things that successful people do differently. Uh, let's look at the last three here. Uh, and these are the ones about what happens when there's, a, when there's a fire, what happens when things get in the way. And there are going to be obstacles in our way as we are working towards our goals. And this, these last three are about what you do when things get tough and how you plan for them right at the start. 
Okay, so this first one here, I'm going to again tell you about an experiment that was done. It was done in the USA and it was done uh, with school kids. And the researchers noticed that in many American schools, and this is not universally true, but many schools, the kids from Asian backgrounds did better at exams than the, than the local kids. Um, and so they're wondering why is this the case? Being smart or intelligent or successful has, is, isn't only about how you do well at exams, but that's what this research was looking at. And so they figured it must be something to do with the way they're brought up at home and what their parents say to them, because these are still kids, teenagers, but still kids. So they ask uh, two groups of people. They ask the American parents and the kids are uh, Asian American parents or Asian parents. Um, when your kids failed at an exam, what was the reason for it? So the American parents said, it could be one of these four things. These were the top four responses. They're not smart enough. They had bad teachers. They were unlucky or they didn't try hard enough. When they asked the kids from Asian backgrounds, why did your kids fail in an exam? These were their top four responses. And they didn't try hard enough. They didn't try hard enough. They didn't try hard enough. They didn't try hard enough, right? And look, and it's funny, but coming from an Asian background, that was always the case for us as well. We were always told, just try harder and you'll achieve it. So, um, and you know, this is not always true. And Seth Godin has written an excellent book called The Dip, which is all about when you, uh, how you judge when it's, when's the right time to quit and when's the right time to persevere. But the research shows now that people, not just kids, but people who have grit are more likely to, to succeed. You may call it persistence, determination. The term that social psychologists use is grit. So are you gritty? Are you able to push through obstacles? The, the grittier you are, the, the more likely you are to achieve your goals. And again, that sounds obvious because of, obviously our world's changing. So we're going to have all these obstacles uh, all the time. And yet lots of people could work on their grit. And there are ways that you can do that. We won't go, to them, go through them here. Uh, but OK, let me continue. So we've got two more to go. Uh, this next one is about temptation, right? So I'm a chocoholic. If there's chocolate in the house, there's a very good chance that it won't last very long. So I always laugh when I see expiry dates on chocolate because it's never going to get anywhere close to the expiry date. So how do you avoid temptation? Um, well, what you do is you create an environment where the temptation doesn't occur. Again, it sounds obvious, but it's surprising how effective that is. So the, the eighth thing that successful people do differently is they create an environment where they're not tempted. So let me give you one simple example of this, uh, which is true. And this happened at Google and Google measures everything. Um, they're very numbers based and they measure everything. So one of the things they did was they, because Google, you go in there and you get free food as much as you like. And they were just doing, they were doing experiments around food. And so one of the things they did was they, you know, that they had sweets uh, in a bowl on the table. So as people were walking by, um, they could, they could grab a sweet. And in one version, they had them unwrapped and one version they had them wrapped. And they found that uh, when they wrapped the sweets, fewer people grabbed them on their way. Everything else was the same, but just the fact that they had to unwrap the suite, there's a tiny bit of extra work involved, uh, meant that they were less likely to grab one and just pop it in their mouth. Okay, so that's a very simple example where the environment changed, but broadly, what can you do to create an environment so that you're not tempted to do the things that will take you off your goal? Um, some simple examples, you can go completely cold turkey. So if you say, I'm going to give up social media, then you just 
just delete your social media apps uh, forever. You delete your account so that you no longer have an account. Now, I know some people who've done that, um, some really smart professional people who've decided, I don't want to be on Facebook anymore. So they just sent all their friends a note saying, I'm not going to be on Facebook. If you want me, you can email me or let's catch up in person or by phone. Um, so you can go cold turkey and that works for some people. And you can also do what I suggested earlier or what I mentioned earlier with with things like that intermittent fasting where you have these rules where on certain days you behave one way and other times other days you don't but that doesn't work for everybody for some people it's going cold turkey so for me uh, the chocoholic thing is really easy i don't have any chocolate at home uh, so i have to go out and get it uh, so that's that's one thing that you could do uh, another thing you could do is create a penalty for if you do get tempted so somebody i know uh, she had a goal that she wanted to achieve, and she uh, wrote me a check for $1,000, and, and uh, it was in the case that she didn't achieve the goal. Now, the check wasn't made out to me. The check was made out to her ex-husband, and so she said to me, here's a check. If I don't achieve the goal, you must post this to my ex-husband. So she created a penalty for herself, which made it uh, easier for her to achieve the goal because there was a, a strong negative attached to her not, not achieving it. Um, you could also make it harder, which is like the Google example of um, just changing environment to make it harder. So for me, like I'm going to come back to the chocolate example. I know that I've got a 24-hour uh, supermarket um, very close to me, but if I want to get chocolate late at night, um, I can't go and get it, but it's harder to do than having it just walking to the fridge and grabbing it from there. Okay, so what can you do to make it harder to stray off the path that you want? Okay, and there are lots of things you can do in the workplace to make it easier to achieve your goal and to make it harder to be tempted by fate. And I'm sure you'll have some ideas around that. Okay, and the last one is kind of related to that, but it's around willpower, uh, because researchers are finding now uh, that willpower is like a muscle. It's like a physical muscle. The more you use it, first of all, the, uh, if you use it correctly, then you'll build it. But also, if you overuse it, it'll tire it out. Um, okay, so here's an experiment that they did. And again, this experiment that they did has uh, is around chocolate. Uh, so what they did was they two groups of people to do this experiment. And the, the experiment was actually they were asked to solve some puzzles. Um, and this was like, find these numbers in this jumble of numbers. Um, and some of the puzzles were difficult to solve, even to the point that they were impossible. And uh, what they were looking at was how long would it take for people to give up on these impossible puzzles? So what they did was told these uh, students, uh, oh, sorry, these, uh, these subjects of the study, uh, we're going to do this puzzle, but by the way, the room's not ready for you yet. So can you just sit in this outer room? and just wait, you'll be ready in about 15 minutes. And in their outer room, one group had this had plate of chocolates in front of them, and they were told, oh, look, if you want to have it, grab yourself a chockey if you want while you're waiting. Um, and the other group had uh, just some, you know, some salad, some radishes, a bowl of radishes, and they had both the radishes and the chocolates, and they were told, please don't eat the chocolates, but you can have yourself a radish if you feel like it. So the first group had the chocolates, they were happy to eat it, and they're welcome to eat it. The second group um, were told, don't eat the chocolates, but eat the radishes. And what they found was at the end of the experiment, the second group gave up faster because they'd used up all their willpower in the waiting room not not eating the chocolates, and then they didn't have the willpower to do the uh, do the actual exercise later on. And this is the this is what the research has found. And there've been other research like this that shows that people who have to exercise willpower and make lots of decisions, their willpower and their decision making skills uh, erode; they disappear uh, during the day. Uh, and this is the point about 
trying to do too many different things at once. If you've got lots and lots of goals you're trying to work on and you have to work really hard on all of them, it's very hard because you're diluting your willpower rather than thinking, I'm really motivated now, I can do five things. Don't do that. Only work on one big goal at a time. Okay, so when you have your 90-day project, I recommend that you have four projects in mind that you're going to carry out for the rest of the year, but have one in focus that you're working on for the next 90 days. And that's your one big goal. It doesn't mean you can't have other things that you're doing, but the one big goal that you're going to focus your main energy on is this one project that you're working on, not chasing many horses and catching none of them. Okay, so that's the last one. So have grit. Create an environment where it's easy to stay on track and harder to go off track and build willpower. Okay, so there's the nine things that successful people do differently. Um, and as I said, this is kind of based on, on social psychology research, based on the latest from neuroscience. Uh, I recommend the book from Dr. Heidi Grant Halverson. You can download it on, on Kindle. It's a, it's a small, easy to read book. She's written some others, which are also great books and uh, Highly recommend anything by Dr. Grant Halverson, but this is the like a little mini book that is like a blueprint for setting your goals. Let me just uh, share a couple of things before we finish up here. Um, so one is, like I, as I said at the start, I want you to have some practical things that you can take and put into action. Um, I love this quotation; it's been attributed to a number of people. I think this, I think this one is the one. Uh, Benjamin Brewster is the most accurate attribution. Uh, he said, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice, there is. So. I'd love it if you think right now that you've got some value from today's webinar, but if you don't put it into practice, you won't really know how effective it is. So please put it into practice. And I also said I'd talk to you, I'll mention briefly uh, my program about the new rules for high performance teams. It basically, um, when I work with organizations, we figure out it's a, either a one or a two day in-person workshop and we pick the modules that you think are going to be the most useful for you kind of pick depending on how much time we've got and the most important priorities for you and run a, a workshop in person but it's called a program not just a workshop because I want to make sure that it's not just a, a one-off hit and um, you may have come across this research from Dr. Brent Peterson at Columbia University so he and his team were looking at how do you make training programs effective and his research found that to make a training program effective, what you need to do is spend about a quarter of the time, the total learning experience, about a quarter of it is getting ready for the workshop. About a quarter of it is what you do in the training room, in the workshop itself. And this is, applies to whether you're in a workshop, in a training room, in online learning, whatever. So quarter of it's beforehand, quarter of it's in the, in the room, and about half your time is then embedding the learning into the workplace or into the task. So if you're running a one-day workshop, there should be about a day preparation and about two days total, whether it's uh, two days, um, could be spread out over time, um, actually embedding the learning. That's ideal. What do most organizations do? They do very little time getting people ready. They spend almost all their time in the training room. And then they assume that, okay, you walk out at the end of the day and you're trained and they spend almost nothing in the follow-up and the uh, execution of it. So that's why I want to make this more than just a workshop. So the way the program runs is you might have a workshop for a day, but we always have a two or three weeks beforehand. We'll have a preparation webinar for the people who are turning up to get them ready for it. And, and 
there's not too much, it's not too intensive because people have busy lives. And, and then afterwards, for the next three months, people have email access to me, get an access to an online resource center as well. And some clients have even said to me, can you come back three months later and do a day of coaching? So I turn up at their office, kind of book a meeting room for the day, and individually people come in and we talk about what they've done, what the obstacles are, how I can help them. And so that's why it's a program rather than a workshop, uh, rather than just a simple workshop. If you're interested in that, please get in touch with me. All my details are at gihanperera.com. I hope you enjoyed that and found something that you can use in your personal and your professional life. Let's work together. I work with organizations and teams at all different levels. So I do conference speaking as a keynote speaker. I can talk about disruption, leadership, change and innovation and being fit for the future. I also run workshops for your leadership teams and your team members and help you with strategic planning as well. I also have a new leadership coaching program, which is the Disruption by Design program, which is designed to help you and your teams be fit for the future by being ready for some of the changes that are coming. To find out more about these services and also to get access to my other valuable resources like videos and blog and podcast and articles, go to my website, gihanperera.com. It's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A.com. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.